Okay, hello and welcome to the Petty Prophet Podcast, where we talk about news, culture, and politics from a Christian worldview. I am your host, Joel Berry, and uh, I am an unimportant guy who likes to talk about important things, hence the name, The Petty Prophet. And if you're just joining us, welcome. I'm glad you're listening. We release two episodes a week. One is a solo episode hosted by myself, and then on Thursdays, we have a group discussion between me and my two brothers, Aaron and Sam, who are uh, really smart and fun guys, and it's always a good time. So I hope you stick around. I hope you enjoy the content. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to go onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. That helps immensely. But either way, I'm just glad you're listening. So today, just really quick, I wanted to talk about uh, something I ran into on Twitter the other day. Twitter is always fun. Uh, Since I started doing this Petty Profit thing, I've had to become more active on Twitter um, against my better judgment. (laughs) Um, Twitter is generally an awful place. But once you get used to the awfulness, uh, to the point of being able to ignore it, (laughs) uh, there is some fun interaction to be had. One area of Twitter that has been an unexpected blessing to me is atheist Twitter, surprisingly. And today I'll explain why a little bit. There is a common sentiment I see expressed by atheists um, an awful lot, and it, it goes something like this. Well, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. Therefore, God must not exist. That always makes me chuckle a little. (laughs) When I read statements like that, I often find that the very observations that fill an atheist with doubt and hopelessness actually serve to fill me with wonder and hope. That's why I say it's a blessing to follow atheists on Twitter. I wouldn't recommend it for everyone, of course. You have to be able to refrain from getting sucked into an angry argument. (laughs) But one... One statement in particular stood out to me this week, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it. And this came from a former Southern Baptist preacher who is now a an atheist author, and he tweeted something like this. Um, this is what it said, and you can kind of and you can kind of uh, hear the, the like the kind of the mocking tone um, as as you hear this statement. He says, "This monotheists believe that God created one billion trillion stars." in the parts of the universe observable with telescopes on the earth or in space, with a maximum of around 5,000 of them being visible to the naked eye, also the inhabitants of the earth would have a pretty sky to observe at night. (laughs) Now, I had to laugh at most of the replies, which simply said, um, yes, that's what we believe. (laughs) And it got me thinking, though, because I've heard similar sentiments expressed by skeptics before. So let's think about that for a minute. Let's think about that. On February 4th, 1990, the Voyager 1 spacecraft finally left our solar system. It had taken Voyager almost 13 years to get to this point, a distance of 3.7 billion miles from where she had started on a launch pad in Cape Canaveral, Florida. On this day, February 4th, 1990, at the request of American astronomer Carl Sagan, the Voyager turned its camera around one last time to take its final photograph of Earth. What we got was what some say is the single greatest photograph ever taken. It shows a vast black canvas of space punctuated by a tiny pixel-sized blue dot hovering in a trace of sunlight. Sagan captured the thoughts of many a skeptic in his reaction to the photo when he said this. Our posturings 
our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. From back on our own planet, we look up at the vastness of space and we have some of the same thoughts. Consider the nearest star to us, besides the sun, Proxima Centauri. If you were to pack up the family van and travel there at highway speeds, never once stopping for gas or a snack or a bathroom break, it would take you six times longer than the age of the universe to arrive there. That's our next nearest star. And there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. But our galaxy isn't alone either. If you were to put a grain of sand on your finger and hold it out to the sky in front of you at arm's length, the portion of the sky obscured by that grain of sand is inhabited by 10,000 galaxies. And that's just the ones that are visible to us. Our current observable universe is about 92 billion light years across. And based on the expansion rate of the universe and its current age, scientists estimate that the actual universe could be up to 160 sextillion times longer than the measly 92 billion light year bubble we can observe. Now some people, like our former Southern Baptist preacher friend on Twitter, see those numbers and distances and sizes, and after picking up pieces of their brains off the floor, like <laughs> like we all do after contemplating distances and sizes like that, they come to conclusions like the one that I read where he said monotheists believe their god created all these stars, only 5,000 of them are visible to the naked eye, Also, that the inhabitants of the earth would have a pretty sky to observe. Really? You, you believe that? And I read that and I chuckle because that sentiment is its so close. It's, it's not very far removed from what David himself said in the Psalms when he said, when he looked at the heavens and the work of God's hand, and he said, Who is man that thou thinkest of him? We are this tiny speck. As, as Carl Sagan said, like a, like a moat of dust floating through infinite space. So is it irrational for us to believe in a God who would create such a vast universe, most of which we will never be able to fully understand or observe? Would it be irrational for God to create such a universe? It's when facing questions like these, I thank God that he made me a dad. <laughs> because becoming a father has helped me understand my relationship to my creator in ways I never would have otherwise. And I'll give you one example. In the months leading up to the birth of my firstborn twin boys, my wife and I did something rather irrational. After going from store to store and gathering up about $100 worth of materials, we spent weeks meticulously crafting a little airplane mobile to hang above the crib. It would be the finishing touch on an airplane-themed room we had built for our babies. And we poured ourselves into this project, as I'm sure many parents expecting their first child can relate to. My wife lovingly crafted several stuffed airplanes and stuffed clouds, each with a different color, 
Each little airplane involved cutting, stuffing, and sewing several parts to create the airplane shape. My assigned job was the structure of the mobile itself, which I handmade out of wood. It was a thing of beauty. Or so I thought. Perfectly balanced, stained, and sanded to perfection. We hung it proudly from the ceiling of the room above the crib and stood back to look upon our beautiful work. <laughs> and what an irrational waste, right? After all, a baby can only see objects up to 10 inches away from its own face. Our sons would never really see the mobile. They would see the faintest indication of some swirling colors overhead, but they wouldn't see the airplanes. They don't even know what airplanes are. They wouldn't notice the meticulous detail of their mother's sewing skills or appreciate the countless hours I spent designing, sanding, and staining. They would never see or appreciate the stenciled planes on the walls or realize that they matched perfectly with the sheet set in their crib. And somewhere back in the rational part of our brains, my wife and I knew this. But it didn't matter. Of course it didn't matter. These were our children. <laughs> every square inch, every poured-over detail of that room was a testament of our love for our children that they would never notice, understand, or appreciate. It was a testament of our love of creating a beautiful thing for its own sake, and the manifestation of that love filled us with joy. So, when I consider the time, effort, and resource it took us to prepare the baby's room for our firstborn, and then remember that God can create light with a spoken word, the idea that God would create such an infinite, vast, unknowable universe for his children on the pale blue dot no longer feels surprising. It feels obvious. I can then walk outside at night, looking at the same sky that causes an atheist to feel insignificant and hopeless. Yet when I see it, I feel nothing but peace, comfort, and love, like a child in the arms of his father. And I want more people to feel that too when they look up at the stars. Not just because it's a great feeling, <laughs> but because it's our reality. Whether or not we fully see it, understand it, or believe it. For the Christian, God's awesome creation of the universe from nothing ex nihilo is our story. But as Greg Kokel said in his book, The Story of Reality, it's also the atheist's story. They live in the same universe under the same God that we do, whether or not they choose to acknowledge it. And when I walk outside and I look at the tiny smidgen of our corner of the Milky Way galaxy that we can observe, and I see it blanketing the night sky in light, I think, man, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. That's all I have for you today. This is Joel Berry, and you are listening to the Petty Prophet Podcast. Thank you for listening.